Welcome to HealthCast, the heartbeat of health IT. I'm your host, Melissa Harris. One of the most pressing public health crises of the last decade has been the opioid crisis. Since 1999, drug-involved overdose deaths in the United States have grown more than fourfold, and about 60 to 70% of those deaths in recent years have been attributed to opioids. According to the National Institute of Drug Abuse and the CDC, 2020 was the worst year for drug overdose deaths. While these statistics are heartbreaking and daunting, the White House and federal health agencies have recognized the gravity of the opioid epidemic and are working to address it. Back in 2017, when opioid-related overdoses and deaths were rising significantly, the National Institutes of Health looked to take its part in fighting the epidemic. It did this by standing up a program called the Helping to End Addiction Long-Term Initiative, or HEAL. Today, we'll learn more about how the HEAL initiative is studying various aspects of pain management and the opioid crisis, as well as how it's working with communities, patients, and other stakeholders to bring effective treatments and solutions to people struggling with opioid addiction. With us is Dr. Rebecca Baker, director of the HEAL initiative, who will tell us more. Okay, Dr. Baker, it's such an honor to have you on HealthCast today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's an honor to be on with you. Sure thing. So we're here today to talk about the HEAL initiative, and I want to start right at the beginning. So can you start by sharing about the origins of the HEAL initiative, which, you know, only launched just a few years ago. So how did it form amid the rise of the opioid crisis, and how did NIH bring resources and research programs together to initiate HEAL? Sure. Um, So the origins of the national crisis of opioid misuse, addiction, and overdose have been brewing for some time. But in 2017, there was a recognition that overdose deaths were rising dramatically and a public health emergency was declared. And that was really when NIH and our our collective leadership came together and said, we need to make sure that research is part of how the government is going to address this crisis, how the biomedical community can play a role. And so HEAL was started the following year in 2018. Um, Those four years have gone by really fast. Our research is really bringing together scientists, patients, stakeholders from across the many different parts of the National Institutes of Health. So we have 27 institutes and centers at NIH, and 20 of them are involved in the HEAL initiative. Um, And we need that breadth because there are so many aspects of the crisis that need scientific solutions. So in order to define what our research agenda is going to be, we consulted with patients, advocates, academic experts and um, folks from industry and the private sector, as well as federal partners from other parts of government to identify the areas of greatest opportunity. And we also took guidance from the President's Commission on Competitive Drug Addiction and Opioid Crisis and the National Pain Strategy. And now we have the um, leadership from the Department of Health and Human Services as well, guiding our strategy 
um, with two overarching goals. First, to enhance pain management, and second, to improve prevention and treatment strategies for opioid misuse and addiction. Um, and since we launched in 2018, we've now funded over $2 billion worth of research, 600 different research projects. I think there's heal research going on in all 50 states and really ranging all the way from basic science to identify new candidate therapeutics for treating pain that wouldn't have the risks of opioids to clinical trials, testing different um, treatments for both pain and opioid misuse and addiction, and then all the way to implementation studies, um, taking the evidence-based interventions that we have and integrating them into settings where people come seeking help, so community or justice settings. So in summary, we really have kind of taken all of these different inputs and woven them together into this one very large and very um, deep research effort to provide scientific solutions to the opioid crisis. It certainly is a really wide and deep issue. So, you know, I had no idea that 20 of the institutes were involved. That just goes to show how cross-cutting this is. So, you know, since it is so intersectional, how do you conduct research in a cross-cutting way to make discoveries amid all of the challenges of the opioid crisis? And what are the difficulties of studying such a complex health area? Oh, it's a great question. I mean, I think the first way is listening to the needs of our stakeholders. So we have a group of scientific and other experts in pain and addiction, and they really identify pressing needs. And then we work from those needs to kind of collaborate with our scientific experts within the NIH to write funding opportunity announcements or develop programs to address these needs. The other way that we do, um, we make sure our research is cross-cutting is by checking in with patient and stakeholder and advocates, um, making sure that the science that's coming out of these programs really does kind of answer the questions they have or try to produce the outcomes they have. So for instance, in pain, it's quite common to ask someone how much pain they're experiencing on a scale of one to 10. But for people who live with pain, they may care a little bit less about the one to 10 score and more about whether or not they're able to go to work or take care of a family member. And so finding ways to orient um, the research towards the needs of the patient, make sure that you don't leave parts behind. For all of the different parts of NIH, you know, I think they often come along with us in these engagements and come forward with where they think the greatest um, role that and contribution they can make would, would be. And so, for instance, in the National Institute of Mental Health, that would be understanding the needs of individuals with both opioid use disorder and uh, mental health conditions and using models of care that involve kind of address some of the, the barriers there and working in primary care to provide treatment for both um, mental health and substance use disorders. Um, we also, for instance, from our stakeholders have heard, well, a lot of people have both pain and opioid use disorder. A lot of people with substance use disorder have pain. 
what are options for helping these individuals. And so that leads to a new program that's really a person-centered approach um, to treating both pain and addiction in the same person and in places where they're likely to come seeking treatment. So it's a dialogue. And I think that that's how we make sure that we um, are kind of addressing all of the needs of the whole person and also bringing all of our scientific equities to bear in um, providing solutions. Yeah, and I want to um, zoom in there on the element of treating pain Obviously, a lot of the opioid crisis got started with lack of good options for treating pain. And you mentioned how you work together with patients and advocates and different stakeholders, which is fantastic. But can you dive a little deeper about how Heal's research is addressing the needs of millions of Americans who experience both chronic pain and opioid use disorder? Of course. So one of the really important elements of understanding pain is that not all pain is the same and not all people respond the same way to different um, treatments for pain. So pain typically comes with lots of different health conditions. You might have pain after you receive chemotherapy for your cancer, or you might have pain because you had surgery, or you might have pain following an injury. And so all of those different types of pain won't necessarily be treated the, the same way. And so what our research community has done is really start to build specific studies answering the, the need for evidence for particular conditions, particular groups of people, particular settings for treating people. And um, we have a lot of really exciting research underway. One of the studies that I was recently learning about compares just standard opioid-based, medication-based treatment for pain following a cesarean section to a more person-centered um, coping skill plus availability of um, opioid-based medication and finds out which works better in kind of um, promoting long-term health after cesarean section. And you know, this is such a common medical procedure and such a common source of opioid prescriptions, especially to um, otherwise healthy individuals. So I'm really excited to see what comes out of that in the many studies that are trying to kind of solve that really specific research question so that a clinician can do the best by their patient, making sure that they have the pain relief that they need, but also preventing um, some of the risks of op use of opioids. Yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. And I was just going to say for the for treating substance use disorder, we also have a ton of um, different research studies. I'm happy to tell you about those too, but please go ahead. Well, yeah, I was just going to comment that you know, with the C-section, you know, lots of women or people who deliver often experience postpartum depression or different mental health issues and conditions as well. So, you know, it's interesting looking at the cross-section of not just physical pain, but also different mental health situations that could also lead people to be more dependent on opioids or other ways of, um, you know, abusing substances, which I think will segue really well into what you were about to say. Oh, of course. Thank you. So, 
You're absolutely right. Pain is experienced in a psychosocial context. And I think that that's a really big part of what we're trying to do in the initiative is to um, recognize that a person may not necessarily want to take away all of the pain, but actually give them tools to go about their life in the way that they want to. And I think it's um, that we're having a similar and related discussion in the substance use disorder and opioid use um, space. There we have so many different studies underway, but um, some of them involve the development of new medications for the treatment of opioid use disorder. We have three life-saving medications already, buprenorphine, methadone, and long-term naltrexone that are amazing ways of treating opioid use disorder, but they don't always work for everyone, and it's difficult to stay on them long-term. About um, half of people are off medication after six months. And so our researchers are working to develop additional and more user-friendly options for them, and also new therapeutics that address other aspects of uh, substance use disorder, like craving or sleep disruption, that can um, be barriers to long-term recovery. Fantastic. And um I just want to take a moment to look at the HEAL data ecosystem as well, since quality and accessible data are really essential for research these days. So, you know, the data ecosystem is HEAL's own platform to support its researchers and care community. So can you explain how um, the data ecosystem works, such as how you built it out and what kinds of data individuals can access and also why it's essential for your initiative's work. Thank you for asking about the the HEAL data ecosystem because data is so important to what we're doing um, as a collective. The goal of the HEAL data ecosystem is to accelerate the sharing of HEAL-generated um, research findings, not just among the broad community of researchers, but also among healthcare providers, community leaders, policymakers, and other um, users of, of data coming through the initiative. And this is really important because we're not going to end addiction long-term and provide scientific solutions if we're only publishing in academic journals. We really need to find ways to put the evidence and the data coming out of our research into the hands of people who are treating patients and making decisions about treatments that patients receive. So um, we have developed the ecosystem as a way to make this easier for both the researchers to make their data available and also for different users of data to access and understand. Um, and that includes promoting the dissemination of new findings um, allowing researchers in the community to build upon research and, and also make new discoveries. Um, the key, one of the key terms for data at NIH is fair, findable, accessible, interoperable, and reusable. Um, and so that's kind of our, our goal for the initiative to make the publications accessible to everyone and to also provide um, the data to other researchers so that they can not um, not have to wait to come up with new scientific advances and solutions for patients. And so this is going to be a cloud-based platform kind of linked together with lots of different repositories across the country with different um, 
disease areas because as you know, pain and addiction are very cross cutting. And so we wanna make sure our findings are not only available to the HEAL community, but also to other researchers and users as well. Um, with the aim to transform research data and findings and publications into a virtual and annotated searchable catalog, uh, making it um, easy to analyze, make new discoveries, and um, promote a version of open science that provides for appropriate standards and data security and privacy for people who are taking part in our studies. Yeah, and this is something I've been seeing across NIH overall, this unleashing of data and making it accessible so that more people can help drive different mission areas of NIH, which is overall to improve health. So it's great to see how this is manifesting in the HEAL initiative as well. And we've talked a little bit now about how HEAL has sort of been um, taking off the past few years. And just last month in April, HEAL released its annual report, and it touched on a lot of different areas like making research actionable in care, which you chatted about a little bit before, leveraging novel technologies, you know, like the data ecosystem is a really great example, and also advancing equity, especially since, you know, there are different parts of the country that are experiencing the opioid crisis much more heavily than others. So can you touch on the state of some of these key areas from the report and where HEAL is looking to grow here in the future? Absolutely. So um, the HEAL annual report is a terrific place to learn about um, some of the projects in, you know, the individual projects and HEAL and the progress they are making. I'll just name a few. Um, one of our really ambitious programs within the initiative is called the Healing Community Study. It's underway in 67 communities across the country and four states hit really hard by the opioid overdose crisis and is seeking to reverse the trend of um, increasing opioid overdose and actually decrease overdoses in those communities by 40%. And so researchers in that program have been working with um, folks in their communities and coming up with tailored communication campaigns. So different communities are going to have different strengths and resources, but also different gaps and needs to reduce overdose deaths. And so those individual communities have come up with some terrific tools to do so that we hope will be a blueprint for communities across the country. And they've also been able to kind of dig in and, and um, validate some of the trends we're seeing in epidemiological data, especially in the area of racial inequities and finding that, unfortunately, people of color are now um, overdosing at higher rates than um, in previous years. So um, not only giving back to their communities, um, the researchers are also giving us information that we can use to target future government efforts. Um, the Another program within the HEAL initiative that we call the Justice Community Opioid Innovation Network came up with a really interesting study where it compared two rural jails in the state of Massachusetts, one that offered buprenorphine to people as they were being um, returned from jail to the community and one that did not. And they found that in the county where 
buprenorphine was being offered following release from prison, there was a significant decrease in re-arrest and recidivism. So in another example, providing information that can guide evidence-driven treatment and um, care for people with substance use disorder at the local level. We also have launched a number of really interesting and promising studies to improve pain management, um, pragmatic and implementation studies, focus on individuals with um, pain associated with end-stage renal disease who undergo hemodialysis. They have a, um, we're in that community, we're testing a telemedicine-based approach to add cognitive behavioral therapy-based pain management skills together with the use of buprenorphine for treating pain in, in that population. And then we also have launched a new program, Integrative Management of Chronic Pain and OUD for Whole Recovery, or EMPOWER, that I mentioned earlier that seeks to provide pain management to people who already have substance use disorder and who often um, don't receive the high-quality care that they need. We have so many other things in this report. I can't talk through it all, but we have research leveraging new technologies, research um, specifically directed at advancing health equity and um, overcoming some of the barriers to high quality treatment associated with poverty, racism, and bias through provider training, through targeted interventions that are um, culturally appropriate and by looking at health conditions that are more common among certain groups like sickle cell disease associated pain. And we're also working to take all of the research that we have coming out of these various programs and using it to inform future research, new candidate treatments, new um, behavioral based approaches and other ways to um, treat, treat pain and prevent and um, treat opioid use disorder. That's fantastic and great to hear all of those different examples of the studies you're holding. It really highlights the, the various areas of life that the opioid crisis really um, touches. I just have a quick follow-up there, um, you know, just thinking about how HEAL launched and then we were diving right into the COVID-19 pandemic. So I'm wondering if, you know, COVID has really exacerbated a lot of health issues from, you know, more substance abuse to mental health crises, and also just highlighting the amount of disparity there is in healthcare. So I'm wondering if, um, you know, everything with COVID, whether it was harder to, you know, conduct studies or whatnot, like what, what did that look like for your, your research community and the different stakeholders you work with? Oh my goodness. I mean, COVID affected all of us and everything. So it, it exacerbated the pain and addiction crisis. It, we saw during the time of COVID dramatic increases in drug use, in drug misuse, and in drug overdose. We saw reduced utilization of healthcare. People who might go to a physical therapist or receive acupuncture or other types of pain management didn't receive that treatment. And then communities that support individuals um, were also you know, not present. And that joined with what we're now recognizing as a national public health crisis 
to make the landscape especially challenging for people with pain and addiction. It also affected our scientists. So it, of course, the hospitals were um, focused on treating people with COVID and it made it harder to conduct research in those settings and many of the jails and prisons um, where people with substance use disorder might receive treatment um, were actually shut down because they didn't want outsiders coming in and spreading COVID there. So there were incredible um, challenges, not only um, to our community, but also to our researchers. The, you know, as we begin to um, look towards the future, I think what we've seen in this time is a really dramatic change in how um, medicine can be provided. People who never offered telemedicine before now have um, kind of learned this technology and we've also relaxed some of the regulatory barriers that would keep someone from receiving healthcare remotely. And so this becomes a really powerful tool in um, not only treating pain and addiction, but also in conducting research. And it really is something that we're focused on now, learning about what works for people and what brings about desired outcomes when it comes to um, virtual care, telemedicine-based treatments for pain and addiction. Yeah, and um, you know, I think speaking in the future, I love that you saw the silver lining throughout COVID. And you know, even though substance use disorder and the opioid crisis continue to rise as um, you know a growing issue as COVID sort of overshadowed everything, at least the Biden administration has prioritized the opioid crisis as one of its top public health areas that it wants to address. So how are you working with other health agencies to meet this greater executive goal? Oh, it's it's a really exciting time with a lot of opportunities. You're right, the um, Biden-Harris administration has really shown a light on the importance of mental health, behavioral health, substance use disorder, and really called on all of us in different parts of government to work together to provide not just um, what we, you know, our day-to-day -day work, but to actually think about the Americans who need better care and treatment and what our agencies can do to bring it to them. And so this is fortunate for HEAL because one of um, the things that we pride ourselves on are our connectedness um, with communities, other agencies, other disciplines and areas and health. So we already had a lot of the pieces in place, um, connections with our colleagues in the Food and Drug Administration, Centers for Disease Control and Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services and Administration. And we're now um, through the new National Drug Control Strategy, working with them to align heal priorities and actions with um, our government's new strategy for addressing overdoses. Um, one of the key points to that is that everyone deserves high quality treatment for opioid use disorder and naloxone should be present at every overdose. And so this is something that we in HEAL are really have been working on for a while and are really ready to partner up with our peers across government to work on collectively. Some of that is going to be um, 
focusing on groups who are at the highest risk of an overdose. So that's people incarcerated and reentering the community, people who inject drugs, people who don't have stable housing, and people who have already had one non-fatal overdose. And the healing community study that I told you about is really focused on reducing overdose deaths using some of these approaches. And then we also are launching some specific programs to tackle the needs of these specific groups. The other element that, um, that we discussed that's relevant here is improving data collection and analysis. Many communities have terrific local data about what's happening to people in their town or city that they don't have the analysis tools to analyze in real time and use to um, inform how they use resources or target life-saving interventions. So that's another aspect of the HEAL initiative that we're putting to use in service of the administration strategy. And then the last um, thing I would say is that the president announced his unity agenda that seeks to address the national mental health crisis um, through strengthening the system's capacity to treat Americans and to create a continuum of support that includes substance use disorder. And this is a really helpful way of connecting us to our peers and other beha behavioral health services and to, again, look at the whole person as he'll seeks to do, not just um, their substance use, but also their greater mental health. And so we're going to keep working with our colleagues there, as well as in some of the harm reduction and recovery support areas um, that are part of the Secretary of Health and Human Services overdose prevention strategy. So you just touched a lot on um, some of the ways that HEAL is looking to grow, especially in alignment with the Biden-Harris administration's sort of path that it's set forward for all of the health agencies to meet. but. Where do you, as the director of the HEAL initiative, see your work expanding further moving forward? What kinds of technologies or research opportunities, partnerships or ideas would really help you get there? Oh, what a great question. I mean, I, I mentioned it a little bit. I think that what is going to bring us forward are the, is the marriage of new technologies and evidence-based treatments with the power of communities and partnerships with stakeholders across the country. And so we are building this incredible community of scientists who are working hard every day in their labs, in their clinics, to come up with new treatments and new evidence to support treatment for pain and addiction. But I think what we're recognizing and what COVID often showed us is that that isn't enough and that we can't just have the evidence-based interventions or have the treatments that science supports. We also need to have the trusting relationships and have the connectedness to bring them to the people who need them. And so what I think HEAL needs is that, that sustained connectedness and, um, and really focus and urgency that we benefited from in the beginning and that we're working to sustain despite the pandemic to, to, to come together and say this number of overdose deaths is too much. Everyone in America deserves high quality treatment 
and it's not going to be the same for everyone, but we're going to work together to define and provide the treatments that people need for pain and addiction. I think that is such a perfect way to wrap up this conversation and put a bow on it. It really touched on everything that we discussed today. So I'd like to thank you so much again for describing and talking about all of the work that the HEAL initiative is doing. And I look forward to following what everyone working with you does next. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for the opportunity to chat today. It was lovely meeting you. You too. HealthCast, along with GovCast and CyberCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them in your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at gcio.com.